good enough intro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Crossroads Podcast from Alabama Church. I'm Travis here with Ethan Jago to discuss and answer difficult questions that young adults face concerning the Christian life. Ethan, how are you doing today, man? Good, man. Just uh, excited to be jamming out with you. I think I get more enjoyment out of just jamming some music uh, before we record these than anything oh, else. Oh, I can so, see that. I um, can totally see that. <laughs> but I, dude, so I listened to our last podcast and I realized I was hitting the table a lot with my hand <laughs> and you can hear like this thump, thump, thump. I'm like, what in the world is that? I'm like, oh shoot. I kept hitting the table with my hand as uh, we were recording that last podcast. This is a disclaimer for everybody out there. If you hear a thump during the podcast, it's because one of us has hit the table <laughs> with our hand. Hey, uh, it's not because always- Because I do it too. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not always just me. You've nope, done it a few nope, times. Nope, I do it. Um, but yeah, a lot of uh, positive feedback from this last one. I actually had requests for us to do another one in the future on a Bible passage. So oh, I think sweet. that maybe something like me and you will do from time to time is we'll just pick another portion of scripture and just kind of unpack it. And, oh, that sounds like fun. Uh, it was cool. Some people were like, dude, we literally just studied that in our discipleship group and cool. Uh, it's cool. Um, so we had our first crossroads of the semester back last night. Uh, it was awesome. Nice. Uh, we had a great night. We just started our study in Philippians when we went through Philippians one through six, and we talked about uh, the spirit of persistence in Christian living and how God in verse six began a good work in us, and He will see it through to completion. And so it's not us having to maintain something; it's God who is doing this in our lives, constant and throughout. And we brought up two attributes of a Christian who has a spirit of persistence is one, that they're teachable, and then two, that they seek and they push for perseverance, right? And perseverance is uh, pushing through something despite difficulty mm. because they know what the end result is. And so I uh, just want to do a quick recap on that before we jump into today's topic, which uh, I've had a ton of requests on. And you and me talked about mm-hmm. what we thought people were asking. Uh, it's me. I, I just... It was not on par for course on the term deconstructionism. Uh, and me and you took this from the literary standpoint of the philosophical yes. movement that started back in the 18th century, I think. Uh, and what people were actually asking is like people who are deconstructing their faith. Yes. Uh, and so that's what Travis and I are going to be talking about today. Um, so and you're, you're seeing more and more of that too. Uh you know, I, I know you and I both have talked about the uh, the podcast Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. Um, and they talked a lot this past episode about Joshua Harris, mm-hmm. who wrote a book uh, back in the 90s called uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I read that book when it, you know, when it first surfaced. Um, my pastor back then actually had a several copies in his office that he actually walked through with right. a couple of young guys. So did you listen to that episode? I did. I, I, I did. don't want to spend too much time talking about that, but there's just one thing I wanted to point out that I kept hearing Josh in that podcast say is like he felt so much guilt over that book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he ended up pulling off the shelves. But I was talking to my wife the other day. I was like, he can't control what people did with that book. No. Right? Uh, he He took some liberties in which he probably shouldn't have in talking about it. But I mean, his intentionality in writing that book, regardless of exactly what it was, was to help pe- keep people pure, mm-hmm. right? Which I don't think that's wrong, but I don't think he should be feeling that kind of guilt over how people are taking that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Or I would. There was um, a part in there where he talks about how young he was when he wrote the book. Yeah. Uh, and there is there is a, a conversation going on in the wider sphere of things about um, placing people who are younger on such a high profile stage. Yeah. Uh, and he did. He got placed on a huge, a high, high profile stage. I mean, to be that young, uh, to not have like a really, really strong theological training background and then to write a book and have it hit the bestseller list and have it be so widely used and pastors who had been around for you know, who have been preaching for 30, 40 years all of a sudden are like, oh, yeah, we're going to take this resource and use it uh, without even really thinking through the theological implications of that. Like, I could see where he would feel a little guilty about that. I, I could understand that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So going off of that, I mean, that that answers what we have First Timothy chapter 3 about in the qualifications for overseers. And one section of that is in First Timothy 3 verse 5. Uh, excuse me, not five, verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Mm-hmm. I think that also can apply to a young individual as well. But here's the thing that I also picked up on is he, uh, from a phys- like a from a personality standpoint, 
Uh, he was consistently being guided and directed by yes. influential people in his life in which he was a performer where if I do this, uh, it'll make them happy. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he had his parents and then he had CJ Mahaney and then he, and then even in seminary when he went to Regent, he had that filmmaker. So he always yeah. had like this strong personality in his life in which he was always kind of going off of what they were saying he should do or what they were saying he should believe. And so he never made that switch from this is the faith of my fathers or this is the faith of my family to this is my faith that I believe. Right. And I think that's what deconstructionism is, modern deconstructionism is really about. It's it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to break down my faith and then walk away from Christianity. It's more of a, I'm going to take everything that I've I've learned over the years from from preachers, from teachers, from from Sunday school, and I'm really going to sit down with it and block by block deconstruct it and make sure that what I've been taught, what I've taken in, and what I have been told is the truth is actually the truth that I believe. And that's that's not a bad place to be. No. I mean, and that's what we encourage. This is why we started this podcast, mm -hmm. Travis, is people asking these questions relevant to faith, apologetics, theology, life, is you are supposed to call out questions and thoughts and not just blindly accept that. I mean, faith seeks understanding. Mm -hmm. And if we are to be good Bereans, we need to be researching and searching the scriptures. But I think that's the biggest qualifier is where are you spending the time? So let's jump into this. So I want to start. So before we jump into the deconstructionism, I want to go back a little bit to what led up to this. There's a lot of different things, but from my experience, what I have seen and how I've seen this play out, uh, I want to say that this began back into the emergent church movement. Um, I've got a couple of quotes here that I've pulled up from uh, liberal progressive Christianity and kind of what led to the emergent church movement. So this is typically what you'll hear when you hear of people having like a pragmatic approach to the gospel. Uh, and they'll say Christianity will make your life better and make you better at life. That is incorrect, right? And we can unpack that here in a little bit. Uh, the progressive message in many churches features the it works pragmatism over and above it's true. And that sadly happens right now. Mm -hmm. Currently in a lot of churches, we see churches pushing out this works and it's a means to an end. And that is more important than this is true. And so you see a lot of the content of messages and sermons and books, especially books right now, being, hey, this works, do this. Mm -hmm. If you do this, if you put A in, you will receive B. <laughs> and what we see is that this mindset is what really kind of led into the emergent church movement. So the emergent church movement or the emergent movement, uh, it started in the 20th century, the late 20th century and into the 21st century. And I was living in Spokane, Washington when this was just exploding mm -hmm. uh, in 2007 because this was also when Mars Hill was in the, its heyday. Uh, and I remember we were adopting a lot of Mark Driscoll books and studies and stuff like that because we were only a few hours away from Seattle, which is yep. where his church was. Uh, now, in this, the whole purpose of the emergent movement is they were seeking to reshape how to do church in a postmodern culture. And often it was just challenging the traditional Christian understanding of faith and what we do as practice. Now, this is coming off of the hills of modernism in which basically modernism is we can know everything. This was in the 18th and 19th century. And then in postmodernism, it basically flips that around and says, well, we can't really know everything or we can't truly arrive at truth. And that's what relativism, man, just like exploded onto the scene. Mm -hmm. Well, that's true for you, but that's your truth. That's not true for me. Uh, you know, and a lot of that yeah. stuff happened. Now, a lot of times what you'll see within a, an emergent movement or postmodern, all the same thing, like emergent, postmodern, it kind of all falls under the same umbrella is people trying to see or find the lost message or even a secret message of Jesus. I mean, you've got movies that have come out with that. You've got other theories coming out about this stuff too. That's like, this has never been seen before. And we're finding this newer, deeper way of experiencing Jesus and it's a chasing of an experience rather than a chasing of the truth. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this is happening. And a big part of this and where I see the most destructive uh, sense of this is the challenging of the authority of Scripture. It truly calls everything of Scripture into question. Mm -hmm. And when we get to deconstruction, I'm going to bring this back mm -hmm. up about how I see this happening in a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. So um, – 
This is uh, an idea of basically we got to criticize everything that has ever been done in the Christian life that has been done in the name of Christianity that has our church fathers. How do we really know that the Bible is the word of God? Can we really call that into question? Is that really true? Uh, are we actually practicing Christianity as it was originally meant or as it was intended? And are there new items and secret items within scripture that makes us experience him deeper in a better way, right? So instead of just using a, an approach and an interpretation of scripture, no, 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 there's something secret in this. Mm -hmm. And this has come out of like people trying to interpret the third letter of every sentence within the first chapter of every book leads you to this conclusion. It's almost like a Da Vinci Code approach to scripture of like hidden meaning within numbers and stuff like that in scripture. And it is very, it's very much an adoption of the culture of the time mm -hmm. because like look back to the time frame of when the emergent church was coming out. And it was literally like you had self-help gurus yeah. all over the place, people coming out and they were like, oh, I found the secret universal context of like how to, how to manifest destiny like here. And it's like, okay. But then you see that creeping into, into the church, into the modern church where they're like, oh, I found this secret passage that, that tells us that Oh, God doesn't mind these things and that uh, it's really all about like love. It's God is love. And, and that's the, the secret scripture that says that. And, and it's, it's, it's bull. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Because they'll say, no, this verse that we've all been interpreting as truth, that's really not what it's talking about. It's really talking about some off the wall thing or mm -hmm. a new concept, a new biblical Christian concept that has never been brought to light in the 2000 years of church history. It's never, we've never seen this before, but we have just now discovered it. Mm -hmm. That's what all of this is. That's what the emergent church movement was, which is in a postmodern culture, which we've, I believe we've moved slightly out of a postmodern culture. And we're now we're in this just pure relativistic culture where there is no right or wrong. We don't know anything, but we can know things and it's very arbitrary. So I've got some quotes here from some individuals that are a part of the founding movement of what I believe has led to the deconstructionist movement, which if you look at a lot of the individuals that's been walking away from the faith uh, lately, you know, Carl Lentz, uh, we also have mm -hmm. Josh Harris, we have other individuals. Um, it really, in my, from my understanding and from what I have seen has led to that I can trace it. Granted, there's a lot of other individuals, but two major influencers of this is Rob Bell and Brian McLaren. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to read a quote from one of Brian McLaren's books here. This is from his book, The Secret Message of Jesus. Um, you're laughing. Have you read that book? I've, I've read the quote a second ago and I was <laughs> like, oh, what, what kind of trash is that? All right. So, well, actually, you read it, Travis. <laughs> oh, okay. Since you just read it. Yeah, it's fresher in your head. All right. For those in the emerging church, Jesus's message of the kingdom is a manifesto about God's plan for humanity here and now. It is the secret and subversive announcement that God is working out his plan for peace, justice, and compassion on the earth. The kingdom message is a summons to participate with God in his dream for humanity, his revolution of love and reconciliation. It is an invitation to join the party of God and be a part of his worldwide mission to heal and be healed. It is a call to join the network of God that breaks down the walls of racism, nationalism, and ecological harm. The kingdom of God is like a dance of love, vitality. Wow. I love the sarcasm that you're just dripping uh, from that. So it's hot garbage. That's hot garbage, man. <laughs> we, we, honestly, we could probably spend the rest of this podcast picking this apart. But the only thing that I can use to refute this is scripture. And I'm reading this out of Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 to 35, which completely stands com in complete rejection of this statement here. This is Jesus talking, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what Jesus is saying is his whole plan here is to point out the sin in life to bring creation back into reconciliation with him. 
and that his whole objective was not to just bring peace and make his kingdom here on the earth, which will happen in the second coming, in which the kingdom of heaven will come. But this is not what he is saying here. I mean, this is not in at all uh, supporting Brian McLaren's statement here. And if you look through this statement too, if you look at that, it has me in the center of this world. Okay. It's me. That was my thing. Yeah. Was, was it's so man focused. Yeah. It's all about God's plan for me. God's plan for us, how we're going to fix the world, how we need to participate in God's dream for humanity <laughs> rather than, Hey, why don't we, why don't we focus on God's dream for his kingdom, which is, should be the focus. As if God needs us. Yeah. Right? Like God doesn't need us. God is God. If God is not the concept and the word structure of God, then why he's not worthy of our worship. And you're right. So that's a great way to pick out to see if, because there's a lot of other individuals out there that have writings and stuff. And and you may be thinking, well, how can I distinguish between if, if this is a person of a, an emergent postmodern thought, uh, which is not necessarily biblical, but they're using Bible and they're using stuff like this to kind of support their sayings is who's at the center or who's the subject of this? And if it's me, 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 and not God-centered, then you have a me-centered theology and not a God-centered focus, right? And so that's a big, um, big problem here. So as we continue on, um, I'm going to read a couple other quotes here. So this one is, that one was from Brian McLaren. Um, and Rob Bell, in his newest book that he has, uh, What is the Bible? How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters, and Stories Can Transform the Way You Think and Feel About Everything. So think about that. He's breaking down the Bible as being the authoritative word of God to being just a library of poems, letters, and stories that can help you transform your life. Oh, wait a minute. Transform the way who thinks and feels, the way you think and feel. So who's at the center of this? Just mm -hmm. within the title, me. Yeah. Right. Going against or going for exactly what you said. And here's what he kind of like just to sum it up is he says that religion has hijacked the Bible, isolating it from many potential readers. And what he is saying with that is that when Christians talk authoritatively and they talk black and white out of scripture, uh, such as this is a sin, this is a sin, this person will not enter the kingdom of heaven, uh, you're isolating people out from the content of the gospel. And so what he's doing and what Rob Bell did was he lowered the standard of the gospel to meet the culture instead of raising the culture to meet the standard of the gospel, right? That's what he did. Um, and here's just another thing to attest to this emergent postmodern movement. Uh, Brian McLaren, here's another statement from him. I don't think we've got the gospel right yet. I don't think the liberals have it right, but I don't think we have it right either. None of us have arrived at orthodoxy. Just think about that, man. Like this, for 2000 years, we still don't have the gospel right. That's why, I, you know, Travis and I, you, we push for like, let's be clear in our terms. Let's define our terms. What are you defining as you don't think we've got the gospel right? Is that what Jesus did? Yeah. How how have we not gotten that? I mean, right? the gospel is the gospel. Like I, I don't know exactly how you can get that right. No, you're wrong. Yeah, like how are you getting that wrong? Like Jesus. Do you want me to interpret the gospel for people? Well, like, what where is this going? Like, you know what I mean? Again, like, go off of the post-emergent thought. Like, think about or post-modern thought. Think about that. If the Bible, right, is not necessarily because. I don't really believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's probably just written by a bunch of guys. Can I really trust that what they said is true? Mm -hmm. Right? How do I know that they're talking about a literal Jesus literally dying on the cross and not like a metaphorical Aesop's fable person with the name Jesus with some happy-go-lucky story? And so that's what I believe he's getting at here is that you're calling not just the gospel, the entirety of scripture, because Jesus is woven throughout scripture throughout all of scripture. Mm -hmm. And so you see this thought process that it creeps into your mind. And the problem that happens with this is people, I've heard people regurgitate a lot of these quotes in different formats, whether they got it from these guys or not, it doesn't matter. But then they're putting this out as truth. Like this is fact of the matter. And then you've got Joe Christian or Susie Christian sitting in their car, listening to a podcast or reading this Instagram quote or Facebook page or little art blog which is where I see a ton of devastation happening within the blog sphere of someone like, oh, wow, 
I never thought about that. What if we don't have the gospel right? And so that doubt quickly enters into the mind. And then that's when like the seed is like planted of doubt and the, the deconstruction process begins. But before I get to that, I've got two more quotes to read and then we're, we're going to spend the rest of the time breaking down these issues in deconstruction uh, of the Christian faith. So this mm-hmm. is Carl Lentz. He was the lead pastor of Hillsong East Coast. Uh, he was being asked about a question of abortion. Right. This is how he responds to abortion of, is this right or wrong? That's the kind of conversation we would have to have finding out your story, where you're from, what you believe. Then again, they asked him another question about homosexuality. He says, look, we've got a lot of gay men and women on our church, and I pray we always do. The Bible's very clear about murder, which is abortion. He's also very clear about a practicing active homosexual, just like an an adulterer is not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. And on an Oprah talk show, I saw Oprah ask him a very similar question. And he said almost the same thing he said uh, in the context of abortion. Well, that's – I can't really say if it's right or wrong, if homosexuality is really right or wrong. That's something I actually – I would need to talk mm-hmm. to him and see. So what you're doing is you're taking the standard of what scripture says saying, you know, that would be like change the context of the thing. Homosexuality is a touchy topic. Mm-hmm. Let's just change the topic. Is, adult, is adultery wrong? Travis, well, I don't know. I'd have to really, and what do I mean by adultery is a married person cheating on his spouse or her spouse with somebody, not their spouse. That's adultery. Well, I don't know. I'd I'd have to hear their story and really see like why they did it. No, there's no right or wrong reason uh, or no right reason. Adultery is wrong, just like murder. Is murder wrong? Well, I'd have to find out like, you know, the context behind murder you know, and this and that. it's just change the the sin, change the the action into a different context, and it helps you understand more thoroughly the problem with that statement. And the really interesting thing about about Carl Lentz, I've 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 listened to a lot of stuff from Carl. Um, this particular, even in these responses, he does it where he's not saying it's right, but he's not saying it's wrong either. He's very much like avoiding the media answer to say that's the kind of conversation we would have finding out your story. So he takes it down to the personal level where it's like, that's a conversation I'm going to have with somebody who comes to me and says they've had an abortion. Uh, And the same way with the homosexuality thing, doesn't say it's right, doesn't say it's wrong. He just says, hey, there's a lot of people out in the pews who are homosexuals and I hope that continues. And it's one of those things where it's like, but what is the right path there? Do Mm -hmm. you call that out in a nationwide media and say, hey, everybody who does this is wrong? Or do you take it down to the to the personal level? Yeah, I mean, you know? as a pastor, yeah. yes, yeah. you are called to do that. Yeah, and he failed that mandate. Yep. Right. As a Christian, I believe you are called to point out and call out sin. Yep. Um, now, let me just quickly caveat this: if you're a homosexual and you're going to church, that's okay. But once you receive Christ, you should be walking away from yes. that sin because that's a lifestyle yes. of sin, just like a lifestyle of adultery and anything else. And that's the kind of thing he he needed to say there. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Um, last quote here before we actually jump into just discussing and really breaking down uh, the deconstructionist thought processes. This is, we've actually talked about him earlier today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joshua Harris, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Uh, he explained this on Instagram. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. So listen to that last sentence and tell me what you guys think of when you hear this. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. That sounds an awful lot alike about the emergent church movement tied in with a postmodern thought of we don't have it right. It calls everything into question. And we criticize everything. Think about, let's just take someone that was raised in the South, right? Let's just say someone who was raised in the Bible Belt area, mm-hmm. right? When you think about that, the Christian culture at the time of the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s was very heavily cultural Christianity, mm-hmm. right? You you just, you went to church on Sundays. You could probably go to church on Wednesdays because your parents drug you there. And you had fun. You had social interactions. You know, you had, you, you met some people, friends from school. It was kind of like a social gathering and stuff like that. And then, yeah, you just had to sit there and you'd have to bear with the pastor, or bear with the youth pastor for 20, 30 minutes. But then you knew you're going to play a game. You knew you're going to have candy, whatever else, right? Football. So you have all of this. Yeah. Flag <laughs> yeah. football, event, lock-in, whatever. Yep. 
So I'm a product of that, right? Uh, you're a product Same. of that. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people here on staff are products of that. Mm-hmm. Now, think about this. How were we demonstrated to practice faith? Well, it was a means to an end. It was a pragmatic approach of like, this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. I never had buy-in. You never had buy-in. It was just, I, I'm going to go do this, mm-hmm. right? And so when you think about like what Josh Harris has dealt with, what Carl Lentz has dealt with, and all these other individuals who have walked away from the Christian faith, well, one, they were never in the Christian faith most likely to begin with. And two, they never actually saw true Christianity at play because they were never a part of it. They were there uh, as a parrot, yeah. right? They were just repeating the information. They were repeating the practices. They were p- repeating the behavioral uh obedience, but they couldn't explain why mm-hmm. other than like, well, I just know I need to. And so when you look at the term of a Christian or a person deconstructing their faith, I want to stay away. I, the term deconstructionism, I think is a misnomer and I don't want to use deconstructionism. Mm-hmm. Let's just say people who deconstruct the Christian faith or deconstructing Christianity is I think a better term. Um, that term is so tied in to postmodernism and what we even talked about previously in the 18th century, it can tie its roots back to deconstructionism in which you attack the literary construct of any kind of a book or anything else and call that into question, meaning that the author's intention is not really what he intended when it's left to the reader. Mm-hmm. That's historically what deconstructionism is. Mm-hmm. Now, you look at that, what we see happening is people challenging to the any kind of attempt to establish that there is an ultimate meaning in scripture. Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to. It breaks apart everything that you believe. And the way that Josh Harris used it in uh, the rise and fall of Mars Hill is like Legos. And it's not like you're just taking a Lego off. It's just someone stomped on your Legos. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Like I, I understand my, my heart goes out. It truly oh, yeah. does to prominent individuals who uh, you know, who he's clearly feeling guilty about it, uh, about his book, but then ultimately what he should be feeling more guilt about is his misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for him. And there are really, there are really two ways this goes about either, either you, you do what Josh did and you go and you, you just take on everything you're taught, uh, good or bad. doesn't matter. You just take it as truth. And eventually somebody comes and steps on your Legos. Yeah. Or you take the other approach, which you can just start doing, you can start doing right now, where you basically, before you adopt something, when you hear something, you go back and you verify it. Yeah. And you make sure this is truth. I believe this. This is scripturally accurate. This is what scripture is talking about. And I think that builds a more firm foundation spiritually for you. Uh, than just accepting everything and building up basically a castle of sand that somebody's going to come along and stop on. Well, you're exactly right, Travis. I mean, there, Jesus gave that analogy of are you building it on the sinking sand or are you building this on a firm foundation, right? The rock mm-hmm. and the sand. And when you are looking to other people to feed you with information about a personal relationship with Jesus, you, you're not getting it from the standard and source of truth. Yes, you can receive like from your pastor, from leaders within your church, from leaders that are, you know, have been in Christianity for a while, who've got a personal relationship, who are mature, you can learn from them, you can grow from them, but there has to be a time in which you're not just always in receive mode from people, but you're in receive mode from the text. Mm -hmm. But if you don't believe that the scripture is authoritative, then you're never going to want to go to the text in the first place. Oh, yeah. And so we're getting the cart before the horse. If I can't first off accept that the Bible is true, that the Bible provides what I need for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for guidance, then of course everything I'm going to come in contact with is going to fall apart. But you, I mean, dude, you, you nailed it on the head. It's where was your starting point in your Christian journey? Was it Was it in a prayer that you said? You know, it, 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 I've talked to a lot of people like, hey, how did you come to know Christ? Well, I said the sinner's prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I got baptized. Okay. Well, and then for the last 15 years, you know, I haven't really been attending church, but now I, f- I think that I need to get back into it again. Man, if, if you truly, when you said that prayer, first off, the prayer does not save you. No. 
the prayer is just an outward manifestation of you openly confessing to either your family or whomever's listening that you are affirming what is in your heart. Yeah. That's it. So if you if you are hiding behind, well, I said these words from the sinner's prayer and yeah, I meant it. There's a difference between meaning it and believing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I meant to say it. Well, of course you meant to say it. Otherwise you wouldn't have vocalized it. But do you actually believe that to be true? You actually, when you say that, do you like, yes, I am affirming that this is an actuality that has occurred in my life. And there is, there, there's a nexus point mm-hmm. on the timeline of your life where belief becomes true to you, where where the tr- where scripture becomes reality and that is that moment. Yeah. But that's not something you can necessarily physically nail down like this was my moment I said this prayer and like this is the moment I was saved like that that's something that happens in the timeline of your life somewhere but you know when it's happened. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and, and you know, as you get older you may not be able to pin, <laughs> pinpoint the like I know, I can't tell you the exact day, but I know it was in December of 2006 yeah. that I was that I accepted Christ. Um and some people can and do know, like, no, mm-hmm. it was on like October the 12th at 6 a.m. You know, yeah. dude, that's awesome. Like, that's so cool. But don't hide behind a prayer that you said and then also getting baptized. I talked to a young adult last night. Uh, he said, Ethan, you know, it's so great to be here in church. I got saved a month ago. And I was like, oh, dude, that's awesome. And I was like, well, dude, you know, the next step is, is baptism. He said, well, you know, I got saved and baptized as a kid. I was like, yeah. But that wasn't true salvation. That wasn't a salvific time and event. Therefore, that baptism meant nothing. Yeah. He's like, oh, you're right. I, I do need to get baptized again. I was like, yeah, that first baptism was nothing. And I know so many people, myself included, that was in that category of I said the sinner's prayer and I got baptized. And now as you move on, you realize, holy smokes, that wasn't real. This is real now. But the thing is, is like, how are you knowing this? How are you measuring this? Because there's a fine line between uh, legalism, uh, Mm -hmm. like growing up within the independent fundamental, like hardcore, a Christian looks and talks like this. (laughs) They dress like this. They wear this. They say this. All of this other checks in the boxes. And then the pendulum swings the other way uh, into a progressive, liberal, postmodern thought of like, you really don't have to do anything about this. You can kind of like live and let live kind of a hedonistic viewpoint here. But if I have nothing to ground that pendulum, Mm -hmm. you will just be constantly having, you know, that back and forth thing. Well, we have scripture. And if scripture is my standard and I'm trying to deconstruct what I believe, I use scripture to deconstruct that. Yeah. Because like you said earlier, I 100% agree with you, Travis. There is times in which we do need to question, why do I believe this? Yeah. Why do I adhere to this? But instead of me going to, well, let's see what so-and-so says, or I want to hear a thought from Joe Rogan about this and this and that. It's like, let me see what scripture says. And see, that's that's the key is is the subtle transfer of authority. Ooh. It's the subtle transfer of authority from scripture and what Jesus says being our our sphere of this is this is truth is that subtle transfer of authority to saying, oh, instead of looking like Jesus, I need to look like this guy on the stage. How does that happen? How does that subtle transfer happen? Let's call it instead of subtle transfer, let's call it what Hebrews 2 says, a drift. Yeah. Yeah. How does that happen? Quietly. Yeah. Like it, it happens quietly in your mind, I think, where where somebody says truth for long enough that you look at them and you're like, oh, okay, everything they spout out of their mouth now is truth. I don't need this anymore. I don't need this book anymore. That guy says truth all the time. I'm just going to believe that without going back and double verifying and checking and saying, hey, what he just said, even though like 90% of it is truth, this 1% thing doesn't align. Hmm. And so now you've transferred authority from scripture and what Jesus says to what this guy says on the stage. Or what this guy says in his podcast or what this guy says over here. Dude. And we as human beings, our minds are designed just – well, not how – not on our minds. Like our culture has helped frame our minds into a person of prominence or a person of, for lack of better terms, a a celebrity-style person. Dude, it's the need for a king, right? 
It's yeah. an old, it's an old Testament thing. It's, it's, we need a King. No, you don't. I'm your King. God's your King. No, yeah. we need a King. We need a person because all the other nations have a person. We need a person that we can look at who's real on a stage. And then that becomes your thing. Dude, beautiful. Connect. Dude, absolutely. Travis, you're absolutely right, man. Is <clears throat> It's Saul. exactly what it is. It's the Saul principle. It's it's making a king out of Saul. Oh, he's the tallest person here. Let's make him king. You're exactly right. Yeah. I mean, this goes back to Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, that's all that we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're going back to this Old Testament way of thinking of like, I've got scripture. Well, I can't see Jesus. I don't, you know, sometimes I don't feel his presence. Therefore, he's not there. So I need to go set my focus on this guy. Or the, this girl, the, and they're the my really standard. Difficult things. It's inherent, right? Like you, you do it. You don't think about it. It's not like a conscious decision you're making. It's something you have to keep a constant eye on to be like, "Am I doing this? Hey, did I go back and double check what he said? Did yeah. I did I go back and did I take my pastor's sermon from this Sunday and did I go back and break it down in my Sunday night study and be like, hey, like." Yeah, all these points are verified. It's I think that's the better term for it. It's not deconstruction, it's verification. Yeah. It's verifying what somebody's teaching you about scripture against scripture to make sure that it aligns with the heart of scripture. Dude, as you're saying this, I, I'm pulling up scripture here because I like that. It's it's verification. But often we're not verifying it. Yeah. Because it requires work. Yeah. It requires us to to put in some time. Now, I've got two verses as you were talking. It They popped into my head. In Acts chapter 17, we, we talked about uh, measuring everything that we hear mm-hmm. from anybody with Scripture. And in Acts chapter 17, I think this is awesome. Uh, this is when Paul and Silas are in Berea. They got ran out. Uh, this is after Paul was in Mars Hill preaching, mm-hmm. right, in Athens. Uh, the real I, Mars Hill, not yeah, the church the true, Mars Hill. Yeah. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received their word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Mm-hmm. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What were they examining? The teachings that they were hearing. All right. And then in Ephesians 4, 14, why should we be examining the scriptures to see if these things are so? Ephesians 4.14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Think about those two verses to frame your mind into combating these thoughts that creep into your head. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to also talk to the true regenerate believers that are listening to this podcast who say, well, yeah, Ethan, I believe in the scriptures, but I still am Mm -hmm. doubting towards faith. That's normal. <clears throat> Doubting towards your faith is a, I think, is a normal practice yeah. that occurs from time to time. And so, when that happens, what you need to do is, what I like to do is, I sit or I write or I read. What is it that I know to be true, and how is it that I know that that is true? Mm-hmm. So, if if it is in regards to my salvation, how do I know that I have come into Christ? Well, and I can look through these different. Versus uh, there's no no longer no condemnation. I am made alive in Christ. I can start looking through these. Okay, this is what happens. And then I can compare and contrast it. Okay, if I wasn't in Christ, what would I be doing? Well, Romans 1 and 2 really gives me a beautiful explanation is that I'm futile in my thinking. I do not pursue the things of God. I don't desire the things of God uh, because it's silliness to me or I have hardened my heart towards it. But if I'm questioning myself and I'm truly doing an inward reflection, I, I see that. And well, no, why else would I be caring mm-hmm. about my relationship with God if I wasn't in God in the first place. Because if I'm not in God in the first place, then I wouldn't even care, right? And so when you when you are deconstructing your belief, I would say deconstruct it in a way in which is there something inside of me that I believe that I can't back with scripture or is this just my opinion? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I talked about this last night is there's often times in which we as individuals, you and me can talk in two realms, the emotional realm or the intellectual realm. And sometimes we tend to lean a little more on the emotional realm and less on the intellectual or more on the intellectual and less on the emotional. Mm -hmm. But we've got to find like this happy medium between the emotional and the intellectual in which as we're talking uh, and having meaningful conversations, we can have opposing viewpoints and we can have... um, arrive at different ideas or different interpretations or applications 
But the problem comes into line. If you and me have a disagreement on, let's just say, an, a, a passage of scripture, in my opinion, whoever's right is saying, well, Travis, uh, I believe that this is the case because like, I just saw this in my life and I feel that this is true. And you go, well, Ethan, if you actually look at Acts chapter six and you see this, this kind of tells you why that is wrong. Yeah. Who's now using a source of truth and who's using opinions? Travis is using the source of truth. I'm using opinions because you're taking this back to scripture, which is the standard and source of truth. I'm taking this back to my feelings. And let's face it, dude, we get odd feelings that are just like not true, mm-hmm. right? Doubt, depression, anxiety, fear. And where does that come from? It does not come from the scriptures. No. It, it, it's when you're in your own head. It's when you're in emotions. And you said this earlier, it's when you are at the center mm-hmm. of everything in your universe. And the, the number one example of this, the number one person that I know who uses the scripture to back up what they say is God himself. <laughs> Jesus in the New Testament constantly yeah. refers to scripture. And if and God himself in the Old Testament constantly refers back to the things he said. If God himself is constantly saying, refer to the tool as a verification for what I'm saying being truth, then it would be stupid and arrogant not to. Dude, you're spitting fire right now, Travis. You're absolutely right. Like, Jesus, as as you know, as it's been written, as it's been said, mm-hmm. he's referring back to the Old Testament. He's referring back to, yeah, if we are supposed to follow and model the example of Christ and be holy as he is holy, yeah. then that falls within the lines of that. I think sometimes, too, we get confused about the end goal being a faith without doubt. Huh. Yeah. When... In, in all honesty, like, if you don't have some measure of doubt in your in your faith, some measure of doubt about the things you believe, then I think what you have is a stagnant faith. You know, it, a, a, fresh, a fresh pool of water, like, to keep it fresh, you have to introduce trouble. Like, there has to be, like, trouble. You have to trouble the water somehow, either moving water, fresh yeah. water, rain, something. But if water just sets and it's still... And it's calm all the time. You get mosquitoes. The water stagnates. It gets bacteria. It gets all kinds of sickness to it. And I I think faith is the same way. I I think if you're not if you're not in some way stretching yourself in a way that produces some measure of doubt or some measure of of something that needs to be overcome, then you're not really stretching your faith. You're just you're just sitting still and you're you're stagnant. And you know the human beings are designed to want to overcome adversity and. hard difficulties because it gives you a sense of ownership. I mean, look at sports, look at Mm -hmm. working out, look at any extracurricular activity. It it requires some work and it requires failures and it requires you to work at something uh, and you progress slightly. Uh, Or if you're like me, you don't really progress at all at certain sports that you try, no matter how hard you try, but you're you're working at it. It's a working out of your faith. And if there's times in which you're like, no, I think I've got it, that's dangerous. Yeah. And if someone set, brings or introduces something to you, you shouldn't blindly accept or reject it. What you should do is be like a good Berean and search the scriptures and verify. then see what it says and verify like you yeah. said. But at the same time, I, I need not be closed off to hearing an opposing view. I need to be challenged. I mean, that that's part of education is hearing an opposing viewpoint and being challenged because I, I believe when you are challenged specifically as it relates to the Christian faith – and you work that out in scripture, you've accomplished a gigantic milestone in which I've worked through this section of my Christian walk in which I'm no longer questioning is this right or is this right? Is Was creation done in a literal 24-hour day or was creation done over a large period of time? No, I've worked that out and I've landed at this and yeah. I can support this with scripture. I can move on now. Yeah. Um, and it's good from time to time too, though, just to bounce check that off of people you trust. But that's really what we're saying here to do. And when you look at the deconstructionist movement is it's the unverification movement is, is that I think this is kind of what you were calling it, right? Or a lack of, because you're just saying it's like, they're not verifying anything. Right. They're just, they're staying in their own head. They're staying in what they feel. They're staying in what they think. And there's no standard to which they can measure and be like, okay, yeah, that's okay. Because here's my thing is like, so Josh Harrison, that interview was like, you know, maybe I will come back. Maybe I will. 
Well, if someone is speaking the gospel to him and someone is witnessing it with him, absolutely. Yeah. But if he's just left to his own devices and he's not into scripture, he's okay. not going to. No. Because he's going to be in this cyclical trap within his own head of feelings and emotions, of feelings and emotions. And the scripture, which is black and white and just this is the way things are, there's never going to be that time in which that hammer comes out and say, no, mm -hmm. you're, you're going back and forth about this. <clears throat> Bible is very clear in saying that that is wrong and this is what you must do. And you do. need to nail that down according to scripture. Exactly. So. When you when we see people walking away from the faith and it's like every other week now, some yeah. new celebrity or someone prominent figure, if you're hurt over that, your mm -hmm. identity or your source of truth was wrapped up in that individual. Yeah. Or if you see someone post something, like, yeah, it, it's disappointing at times. But again, if you're just devastated, like, oh my word, how could they? My faith is not in man. Yeah. My faith is in God. And don't ever just accept because of a prominence, uh, because of a follower, because of a title, that what they say is absolute truth. Yeah. If they're speaking and it's just riddled with scripture and it's just flowing of scripture, absolutely, then I can be accepting that. Yeah. But again, though, like you said, I still want to cross compare that and be like, that seems a bit off because what I see happening too is like you said, dude, it's that small drift of um, – what word did you use? Not drift. Um, trans, it's like no. transfer of authority? Yes, yeah. yes. The yeah. transfer of authority. Thank you. I was going to say, start with the T. Um, <laughs> what tends to happen is you may be hearing from a pastor. You may be hearing from a teacher or someone. 90% true, 10%. Eh, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But what I've seen happen is that percentage scale goes from 10% false – slowly starts to trickle over 20, 30, 40, 50, mm -hmm. 60, 70. And now you're getting 90% false information and you're getting 10% truth. And so they'll introduce a truth concept using scripture and then immediately it will move into false teaching. Yeah. Um, the best case example, and I actually have the video clip on my phone. Um, I'll actually play it if it will pick up. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll kind of close out after this. You, pro I think I've shown this to you. I think too, like the – I don't want to confuse like you shouldn't like distrust just distrust all your leaders. No, you know there's a there's an old adage that's like a teamwork adage that's trust but verify. Yeah, and that's that's really what it comes yeah. down to is you know trust. Yeah, sure. If you're if you're plugged into a church and you've been there for a while, trust what your pastor's saying but verify. Trust what your teacher's saying but verify. Trust what your disciple person is saying. You know, I guess that would be a discipler. Trust what your discipler is saying. But verify. No, I'm glad you said that because, yeah, that's not what we're purporting because that yeah. is what a deconstructionist would be pushing is like, you cannot trust the leadership of the church. The system is broken. Uh, you know, there's no way uh, that they're biblical. It's been so muddied up by man. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying is like, yes, ha has church done everything right? No. Right. Mm -hmm. Do churches fail from time to time? Yes, yeah. because man is, you know, still sinful and everything else. But the biggest thing that we need to focus on is I can't control what I can't control, right? That's something that mm -hmm. uh, has been something that I've been learning a lot lately is I can only affect control over what is in my direct sphere of influence. And I have to trust the church that they're being led by God, being filled by the Holy Spirit. And I'm not trying to call in, question every single thing that he's saying. I'm like, oh, he said this, this, and this. Right. No, you know, if you're in the scriptures, you know what the scriptures say. And you're tracking, you're tracking, you're tracking, but then all of a sudden something pops out. Well, maybe I want to look at that. And you may not have anything that pops out. Yeah. But if you hear something like this from the stage. Then I am God probably, Almighty. You should probably take a, a step back from yeah. that. <laughs> I, am in, I am in covenant with God. Okay. Yeah. I am a part of God Almighty. I am God Almighty. And I listened to the whole entire sermon mm -hmm. because I saw this clip being used. I'm like, I want to give him context. No, I don't want yeah. to, but I want to get the context. And I listened to it and it's referring to Jacob. And I'm like, no, he is legitimately referring that it's that whole little G demigod kind uh -huh. of concept. But um, I hope I hope this brings some clarity. Yeah. Uh, I think we definitely – Took it more of the track that people were wanting than our. I think so. Th than the philosophical deconstructionism movement that occurred, um, but 
if, if you guys have more questions about this in particular, mm-hmm. or what I think would be cool too, Travis, uh, without doing this in like a, a slandering uh, kind of meaning intentionality is if there is someone that you listen to all the time, now yep. I don't want you to go out on some witch hunt, <laughs> but if there's someone that you listen to all the time and you're not sure, man, I can't tell. Because there's a lot of times in which it's very sneaky. Yes. It's so- uh, It's the 1% thing. You know what I mean? Oh. It's it's the, oh, like 90% of this is right. And yeah. then there's this little 10% that's just questionable. That's how it, that's yeah. how it starts. Yeah. yeah. And me and Travis and I want to help through that. Uh, and maybe even on one of these episodes too, if there is one that is just circulating mm-hmm. around, we can play little clips and break down on why this is or is not good. Um, the last thing I'll leave us with is like a, another little thing here is, I don't want to grind this ax. Maybe I do. No, we'll talk about that later. Um, but Hopefully this uh, brings some clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, this helps explain kind of what uh, deconstruction or deconstructing the Christian faith is. And hopefully this challenges you to seek the scriptures to be a good Berean so you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Yeah. And I would say too, if you, if, you, if you ask a question about something you've heard, it would be helpful to let us know why that feels true to you. Like why, what, what's resonating with you that makes you want to believe that mm. so that we can kind of look at that too. Cause that's an important piece of it. That's a, that's a very important piece of it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So very cool. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Crossroads podcast. Crossroads is the premier young adult ministry in the city of Pensacola. And you can find out more at all Baptist slash young adults. You can also DM your questions like the ones we were talking about to the Crossroads Instagram at Crossroads at Olive. And we hope to see you there and to see you next time for the Crossroads podcast.